Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. I'm very excited to welcome back on the show Dr. Raymond Nayora, Interim Chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Professor of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the NYU School of Global Public Health. Dr. Nayora is a longtime tobacco researcher of much esteem. He was the Director of Science and Training at the Schroeder Institute for Tobacco Research and Policy Studies at the Truth Initiative, and he is past president of the Society for Nicotine and Tobacco Research. Dr. Nayora, thanks for coming back on RegWatch. Great to see you again, Brent. Well, for those who don't know, I think it's fair to say that NYU School of Global Public Health is providing some of the best research on issues concerning nicotine vaping products. Tell us about the school, the team, and the research. Sure. So I joined uh, NYU about four years ago, and um, at the time it was a you know relatively new school of global public health. It still is you know kind of new, but uh, we've made great strides in terms of our uh, you know, student enrollment and interest and and so forth. And, and it's just great being at NYU. It, it's a it's a wide bench. It's a deep bench. A lot of smart people here, which which, you know, makes what I do look look easy. And I thank them a lot. Um, but yeah, it's just a great environment to, um, uh, you know, to be an academic, but also uh, to be in a place where, you know, we can work on things that are important to us. Now, it seems that there's a liked mind, for the lack of a better term, with regard to safer nicotine products, where I say on the West Coast, there is at least one or two uh, organizations that may not necessarily be so amenable to uh, tobacco harm reduction. What can you say about that? Well, you know, there are always, you know, differences of opinion, but uh, it's it does seem that there has been this kind of bicoastal uh, split, but you know, hey, listen, people move around, things change. Um, you know, some of the folks on the West Coast um, who will go unnamed, uh, you know, have retired. There, there are other changes in leadership going on. So, so let's just say, you know, tomorrow is another day, and uh, we may bridge the divide between the coasts. So let's jump into, obviously, the issues we cover here. Why is the debate over nicotine vaping so contentious? I think because it's very threatening to um, to many people. It's uh, and, you know, we can go through the whole the whole list of, of reasons why. But I think it basically comes down to, you know, the whole idea, the whole concept, the whole reality of vaping and reduced you know, risks a risk nicotine products is just, you know, very threatening to to uh, people's world order um, or sense of world order. And and um, and, you know, when people get threatened, they they uh, they dig in, they lash out. And, you know, that's what we've been seeing. Why do you think, uh, well, at least in our opinion, that the science seems so, so lopsided on this issue? You know, yeah, the science is is lopsided, but I don't think it's as lopsided as it used to be. Um, so yeah, we still get a lot of really bad stuff being put out there. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are better and better uh, pieces of science being reported on and published. Um, as to the bad science side of things, there's been a lot more effort to kind of correct the record to hold people to account. 
So, um, so yeah, I guess it can still seem lopsided, but I, you know, from my point of view, um, we're we're catching up with the better science. Now, one of the things that I'm hoping that we can tease out here uh, over this show is whether or not you feel that there might be some progress being made uh, with regard to cracking through on this issue in terms of acceptance of safer nicotine products. Where are we at? And just kind of maybe frame our conversation for us. So I think where we're at is, um, you know, the side that feels threatened it has been pushing for restrictions, you know, flavor bans is a, you know, probably the, the best example. Um, but these restrictions, I think, are a prelude to trying to ban these products outright and, you know, ban them from the marketplace 100%. That's my, my sense. That's my, my point of view. So, um, you know, we have to ask, well, you know, we can see this happening before our eyes. I mean, and Canada is a funny example, right? Um, and you know more better than I do, but it's kind of like, well, you know, Canada seemed to be going in a pretty good direction. And then what happened? Why, why is there all this pushback on nicotine levels and, and flavors and, you know, um, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what happened. And I, you know, I've been talking to a lot of colleagues uh, who happen to be Canadian and, um, you know, maybe you can tell me, Brent, but, you know, so, so in a sense, what's happening in Canada is similar to what's happening in a lot of other places. Um, but, but why the turnaround? Why, you know, what happened to, you know, the leadership, the, the, uh, uh, the bureaucrats, the functionaries that were pretty much on board with tobacco harm reduction and now seem to be, you know, going in the other direction. Let's start back to when you were on the show with 2018. Tell us, walk us through those three years of youth vaping numbers. Was there an epidemic? Well, you know, um, I, I think I mentioned this last time I was on the show, but it's like, who de who defines what an epidemic is, right? And actually there are no really hard and fast rules when it comes to, you know, non-infectious uh, diseases or behaviors or whatever. So it was really, you know, a combination of, of uh, Scott Gottlieb, who was then the commissioner of the FDA, and then um, the CDC who basically said, look, there's an epidemic. And so the cat was out of the bag when when that happened. And, and whether or not you agree that the numbers um, truly constituted an epidemic. That's kind of what we were stuck with. But to be fair, you know, the numbers of of youth who were, you know, using products, you know, certainly ever, but also more frequently, you know, at least once a month or more, um, were were you know elevated. Um, and I, I mean, I get, I get the the concern and the focus, but then that just got completely blown out of uh, out of proportion, uh, both in terms of you know the the gateway and all kinds of terrible bad things that'll happen to kids you know who use nicotine, and then of course um, you know around the fall of 2019 is when Evali happened, which we now know 
had nothing to do with nicotine vapes. It was all, um, you know, adulterated THC, vitamin E acetate, I believe. Um, and that just, you know, that was the extra firecracker in the fuel tank that, um, and and I think, you know, those those two things just supercharged the environment. Um, and so you had, you know, the U.S. that that was in panic mode, or at least, you know, a good segment of it. Um, and and then and then COVID happened, right? And so now we're all kind of like, well, where are we at? I've got an article here uh, that outlines the uh, 2020 National Youth Tobacco Survey that indicates that uh, teen use dropped by a third. And you were quoted actually in a news article from just a couple of weeks ago and said it dropped by 30%. So is youth use actually down 30% in 2020? If we look at youth, and, and these are 12 to 18 year olds, um, who use one or more times a month, the, the percentage is 19%. Okay, and I believe I forget what it was back in 2018, 19, but it was quite a bit higher. Um, I think it was, you know, closer to 30 percent. So so that's a pretty substantial drop. Aside from 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 e-cigarettes, everything is, you know, pretty darn low when you're under the five percent threshold. I, you know, I don't know if people remember, but, you, you know, there used to be these. Uh, um, you know, public health goals, the National Cancer Institute would put them out, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention would put them out and we'd say, you know, we want to get to, you know, 15% in five years or 10 years, 10%. And a lot of those, um, you know, pronouncements basically said, you know, when we get to, you know, 5% and lower, it's not that we've licked the problem, but it's, you know, then we'll know that we've we've made significant progress. Um, so aside from e-cigarettes, every other category of tobacco product use is now below 5%, which is, hey, that's good news. So that doesn't that give some justification to the prohibitionists who want to then now, you know, focus on eradicating vaping then? Well, yes, there is that side of it. But then what argument do you have? So first of all, vaping is also going down. Um, second of all, you know, this data, you know, does does not support the, the idea that there's a gateway because if people are vaping and becoming smokers. We'd see those numbers, you know, shoot up dramatically and they haven't. They've continued to go down. So, you know, where are you left with that? Well, it bothers me that kids are using, you know, nicotine, which is a drug. Fair point. Okay, but, you know, what do we do about it? Well, their, their response is, well, we should ban it. Okay, and then we come back to the argument, about, well, you know, who, who, who are really using these products? It's, you know, it's adults, adult smokers and former smokers. Um, so then if we ban it, what's going to happen? And unfortunately, we're seeing some, you know, recent data suggesting, um, you know, where there have been severe restrictions placed on, you know, e-cigarettes, flavor bans and that sort of thing. 
the smoking rates are going back up. Um, and so, you know, is this what the tobacco control community wants? Um, and, and it would be okay as long as we, you know, dropped uh, youth use down to, you know, zero. Um, you know, and, that, and that's, and that's the, the dilemma. It's a bit perplexing. Let me show you, I've just thrown up on the screen in Nicotine and Tobacco Research, um, an article reactions to sales restrictions on flavored vape products or all vape products among young adults in the U.S. And this was just published at the end of July. And basically it says that they've looked at the 2020 data that we've just been talking about. And they examined support for e-cigarette sales restrictions among e-cigarette users perceived impact of flavored vape product and all vape product sales restrictions on e-cigarette and e-cigarette use. The results, if vape product sales were restricted to tobacco flavors, 39% of users reported being likely to continue using e-cigarettes, but over 30%, 33.2% said they were likely to switch back to smoking. Right. Um, so... Isn't that concerning? It is to me. Yeah. How is it that the nonprofit health groups and public health and so forth can just ignore that kind of information? Well, because again, you know, it does not fit with their narrative. Um, it, it's, it, you know, they're, they're single-minded. There's a single focus has to do with youth and any, anything else that comes into the discussion is discarded, uh, pushed aside. Ideally, from their point of view, it's discredited, right? Oh, you know, um, you know, all that stuff that they call science is is garbage because you know the the people that are writing these papers are you know in cahoots with the tobacco industry, um, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, and ad hominem attacks on people's characters, character, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, you know, and I've experienced some of that, uh, you know, recently. And I know people who've really, really been bore the brunt of, of those sorts of things. But that's what's happening. Um, so, so it's an utter, uh, you know, disregard for for facts. It's an utter unwillingness to engage in an honest discussion. Um, it's, you know, it's smear tactics, um, and, you know, you can go on down the line. Is it true, uh, to say that in the U S when we're talking about research here, that there really actually is a lot of new stuff coming out that seems to be hopeful for those that are on the pro, uh, vaping side. You would look at Abigail Friedman out of Yale with some very important work on flavors showing that the flavor ban in San Francisco had a deleterious effect and it did lead to some uh people going back to smoking some used to go back to smoking so i mean are, is that your impression too as well that that the outlook and perspective might be changing in the u.s um you know it's hard to to make sort of a blanket assessment but i do agree that you know there are enough people out there and thankfully enough you know younger scientists who are coming to this set of issues with with more of an open mind and uh which is good because you need to be open-minded you know when you're a scientist 
Um, but also it's a bit of a, of a counter reaction to what they've seen going on. Um, you know, the, these, you know, knockdown drag out, you know, arguments and taking sides. And if you're a good scientist, you're going to say, wait a second here. Why is there such passion? I want to take a look and I want to use, you know, my methods, what I've learned, you know, how to do science to take a look at, at this myself. And the more people do that, I think the, the better off we all are. Um, because then we're, you know, then we're working from, from the same, you know, hymn sheet. We, you know, the music is all there, there for everyone to see. And then if it comes down to, you know, matters of interpretation and so forth, at least we can be honest about that. And we can be honest about our biases and, and uncertainties. And, um, and, and, you know, that's you know, uncertainty. People have trouble with uncertainty in, in all areas of life, right? But the issue with science is that that's what science is about, is you're dealing with uncertainty like 99.9% of the time. Um, and you've got to get used to, to you know, living in that environment. And some people just don't do uncertainty very well. Dr. Nayora, we just had uh, Cliff, Clifford Douglas on the show. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Michigan School of Public Health and former vice president of tobacco control at the American Cancer Society. So he knows where the bodies are buried uh, in tobacco control, so to speak. And he's very strongly has come out and said and called for a ceasefire with inside the tobacco control community because there's so many shots going on with regards to uh, vaping. What are your thoughts on that issue? Well, I, I know Cliff uh, pretty well. And, you know, he's an example of, of someone, and he's not the only one, but he's a pretty prominent example of someone who, um, you know, was looking at this debate um, over time, you know, in the context of working for, for the, you know, American Cancer Society. And I, I, I believe he, he became interested in, you know, the back and forth and, and started paying more attention to what the science is telling us and not telling us, right? We get back to uncertainty. And I, I think he came around and said, you know, there's more to this than, um, uh, you know, than the one-liners and the, and the zingers and, and uh, the threats and recriminations that, you know, there's, there's something important going on here. There's a, you know, and sometimes a complicated and nuanced story. And it's it, it's important because it involves, you know, lives, saving lives. And, you know, if we can figure this out and get it right, um, you know, maybe we can make some real advances beyond, you know, whatever tobacco control has been doing successfully, you know, for the past, um, you know, two, three decades. So so, yeah, I think Cliff basically said, listen, um, you know, first of all, we can have a you know an honest discussion if everyone's sniping at each other, um, and that you know that's the call for the ceasefire. Um, so, which which is welcome. I mean, you know, we we need to be able to engage in dialogue. That doesn't mean you can't have strong feelings uh, about certain issues, but to be able to you know at least entertain the possibility that you're not not right or not 100% right on all the issues 
is is an important you know first step um, to to getting to the place where you can have that honest discussion. Whenever say like the campaign for tobacco free kids or politicians talk about underage use of nicotine vaping products, it's always the children. They'll say the children, the children, the children. And when public health kind of vacillates, you know, around their terms, they'll be youth, teens, or kids. Why so much variation? And is it a bit mendacious to, to say children? Well, you know, language is important. And the image of a child is one of, of you know, beauty, fragility, um, vulnerabilities, you know, someone that needs, you know, protection. Um, and that's what that language evokes. Uh, so it's, you know, it's entirely natural. You, you know, nobody's going to, you know, make an argument about protecting children from anything, you know, really. Um, you know, it's, it's um, you, know, we, you know, we often talk about paternalism, right? Well, this is, you know, this is paternalism at its root and, um, you know, that n nobody has a problem with that kind of paternalism. <laughs> is it fair, though, to be doing that? I mean, I, I know as A, as a vapor, B, as a journalist covering this issue, and C, as somebody who watches the reactions of consumers out there that use vaping products, it's maddening to hear the discussion always about children and kids when adults are the ones that are intended to use this product, and they're the ones that actually their lives are being saved. Well, unfortunately, adults do not garner the same amount of, of, of sympathy as, as young people do, children. Um, you know, it, it, you, you know how it goes. Once, once you pass a certain age threshold, and I'm not exactly sure when that is, um, you know, get out of the house, get a job, look after yourself, and whatever happens to you is your own damn fault. So... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I agree, you know, but this is, this is the force of language and, um, yeah, it can be maddening, but, you know, realize that it's, you know, it's deliberate. Um, you know, this, the, this, this is by design to, to, you know, to get people's attention and to rile people up. It doesn't seem uh, to be a fair use of science. Well, this is where, you know, the, the scientists kind of have, have a, you know, a quandary because scientists like to be very careful in terms of the language that they use. They try to be consistent. Um, and this is one of those areas where, you know, well, what do we do? Well, you know, we, we, we call them children, kids, teens, etc. And I, and I don't think, um, you know, scientists are, are particularly comfortable um, using that language. And they're always searching for kind of better ways to, um, you know, to describe the populations that are, that are being studied. So it, it, yeah, it's, a, it's a challenge. Let me ask you about FDA and the PMTA process, you know, deadlines coming up here, uh, in September where it looks like, or at least it appears to be the case that FDA will meet this deadline and authorize the use of at least a couple of vaping products. What's your understanding there? Well, it's, yeah, it's just over a month away. Um, and, you know, I can look into my crystal ball. Um, 
which won't do much much good. But you know, my best guess is, um, you know, I don't know if they'll make announcements on all products um, on the 15th necessarily. I think they will probably announce more, um, you know, denials than they will approvals, which is nothing we should be, um, you know, that that shouldn't be unexpected just because of the vast number, you know, of applications that were submitted. Um, I tend to agree that it's, you know, my best guess is that they will approve um, at least, you know, a couple, a few products. I don't know which those will be, though. Um, and if that happens, that's going to change things, in, you know, in ways that we have yet to foresee, I, except for, for, for some things. So, for example, um, I predict that um, the, the ardent, strident tobacco control, control community will not say, aha, now we have some products that are, you know, legally entering a regulated marketplace. I don't think they're going to give any ground and they're still going to be going after these products and calling for their, their removal and their ban. And they're going to be working the political system just as hard, if not harder than before. Um, so that's that's we'll see if, if if I'm right. But that's one prediction. That particular uh, prediction on your part, Dr. Noyora, is almost guaranteed, certainly by yeah, that's, a, that's a low bar. That's an easy one. Yeah. I mean, but it's 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 distressing. Why? Why is it? Do you think that that's going to be the case that they're going to double down? I mean, is that just the ferociousness uh, that it comes with dogma and idiot, you know, ideological battles? Yeah, and and also, you know, they represent they're part of a big, um, you know, machine in terms of, of, you know, funding and 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 staff and everything you, you know, this it takes a lot to keep to keep that machine rolling a lot of resources um, and you you know, you can't shrink. <laughs> You've got to keep growing. Um, and, and I think that's a big part of it. So, I mean, often, uh, we've said that there is a tobacco control industrial complex. I mean, there is a, you know, a business, a full on economy around it. And that vaping has always threatened that. Is that what you're saying? Um, in part, um, but you know, the irony is, um, that some, you know, we'll take the case of vaping. It, it's also the gift that keeps on giving to them because they'll all, they always have the issue. So I wonder if they've thought through, well, what if we're successful and we get governments around the world to ban these products in their entirety? Um, I wonder if they've, they've asked themselves the question, well, what are we going to do then? Um, so, I, I mean, you know, it's just this kind of interesting dynamic. Um, and they're not, you know, they're not very diversified, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, they talk about, you know, tobacco products. And then, you know, as use of, of conventional tobacco products starts to decline, um, you know, they, they have less and less to talk about, but they use a bigger and bigger megaphone to talk about it. Right. And they also export uh their position to other countries which we've really seen that to be the case with bloomberg philanthropies and the work that 
Michael Bloomberg's organizations and money seems to be doing around the world. Oh, completely. And, um, you know, one could ask the rhetorical question, what would happen to all of what's going on out there with the, you know, tobacco control industrial complex if, perchance, all of a sudden, Michael Bloomberg decided that his priorities uh, lie elsewhere and, and the funding went away? It's a, it's an interesting counterfactual to contemplate. Sure, but there'll always be the funding that comes from the tobacco industry in terms of the master settlement agreement and so forth. Well, there will be those kinds of funds, um, but you know, at least in the U.S., the master settlement agreement is, you know, pretty close to being spent out. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Um, are governments going to want to spend a lot of money on this, especially during COVID times or other pandemics? I, you know, I, I heard recently that, you know, funding for, um, you know, just regular um, public health initiatives has been dwindling because all the, all the focus and money's going into dealing with the, you know, with the pandemic and rightly so. Um, so, you know, again, is, is, is tobacco use going to be a, a priority program for governments, given everything else that's going on? The World Health Organization, Dr. Niora, has come out and really doubled down on their position that vaping, nicotine vaping, is harmful. You've had some reaction to that um, out there in the news media. Fill us in on your, on your thoughts. Um, well, first of all, it's no surprise because this is what, you know, the WHO has been saying and doing for a long time. I guess the question I would have is um, how much of, you know, tobacco control at, at the WHO level is actually funded by um, Mike Bloomberg um, he's, he's one of the WHO health ambassadors, isn't he? That's correct. Um, so, and he's an avowed anti-vaping, you know, advocate. Um, so I just see the, it's hard to see the WHO as anything except extremely biased um, in, in, in their perspective and in everything that they put forth and, and communicate. Um, I haven't seen anything in terms of, you know, honest, straightforward communication and process and discussion to the, you know, to the contrary, it's all been a dismissal of, uh, of, you know, quote unquote, so-called, you know, scientists who, who have a different point of view. So you probably can tell that I'm not a big fan of the WHO, at least when it comes to tobacco. Dr. Nayora, if FDA does authorize some vaping, some nicotine products, for the protection that it's appropriate for the protection of public health. What would that do in terms of public perception around vaping? Do you think it would make a difference? Um, I, I think it should make a difference. You know, how long it would take for that to happen is, is anybody's guess. Um, so, you know, I think whatever the FDA does is still probably gonna be drowned out um, you know, by the other side. And who knows, you know, maybe, you know, these tobacco control groups and concerns will start 
you know, will sue the FDA. They've already sued them a bunch of times. Um, so, you know, what's to say that they won't, you know, draw them into additional lawsuits and so forth. Um, but, you know, one one has to hope that, you know, the truth eventually will prevail. I think the real wild card, though, is not only what the FDA will communicate, if anything, but also what they will permit um, those companies who have approved products to say about their products, you know, in terms of marketing and, and everything else. Um, and, and that whole issue is very sticky. The FDA has been, you know, traditionally very, uh, you know, conservative about, about this sort of thing. Um, but that's not to stop, you know, others such as scientists or other people who are concerned with public health, um, from, you know, basically telling the truth and saying, well, now these, you know, these products have been, have been approved. You know, it's, it's interesting if you, if you look at the two, you know, products that have been approved so far. So you've got Swedish snooze and then you have the, um, you know, the, yeah, heat not burn the IQOS product. Um, and you know, you don't, you don't hear a lot about those products. You know, every now and then you sort of do. Um, but just lately, and there has been more of a focus on heat, not burn, even though, you know, the use in, in the U.S. Is, is, is extremely low because it's only marketed, I think, in four states or something like that, uh, four cities, really. Um, but we're starting to hear, oh, what about youth using these products? And by the way, I mean, you know, there's like, it's a minute, if there, if there are any youth using these products, any children, they've got to, it's got to be such a minuscule number, but they're starting the drumbeat. Um, and so, so I think they're ready, you know, to pounce on, on this whole issue of, of, uh, you know, whatever happens with the FDA, they are already writing their playbook. And just to your point, Dr. Nayora, there is, has been in the last several months, a, not a litany, but a drumbeat as well, as kind of use your term, saying, you know, as pandemic nears and teen vaping threat resumes. And it's like CNN has had that. We've seen some stuff in the New York Times, which is just basically that, okay, well, the pandemic may have caused a, a drop in teen vaping. Now that, now that people in life is getting back to normal, get ready for, you know, a major increase. And so they've kind of spun back up the machine. Yeah. And isn't that highly irresponsible journalism? Because we don't have any data that the rates are going back up. So this is all make-believe. It, you know, it's like, well, um, we have to get ready for a crisis um excuse me and by the way no the pandemic isn't done yet um it's got plenty of surprises in store for us you know what about and everything that goes with it you know society's upheaval of society and unemployment and, and you know on and on and on um so this is very pernicious to you know to and and you know okay where are these journalists uh so-called getting their stories, right? 
Is this something that they're just saying, huh, I think I'm going to write about this today because it's interesting. I highly doubt that that's the case. I bet you they're they're being fed propaganda, um, you know, to gin up the outrage machine. Well, there's no doubt about that because it, clearly they've got the same message here, CNN, and this is July 14th, 2021, so just a month ago, vaping debate heating up once again. It was a pivotal public health crisis in America before the COVID-19 pandemic, and then we stopped talking about it. Well, and it gets back to my point that, you know, the, the, the tobacco control industrial complex, I'm going to use your term, I do like it, um, you know, needs, needs fuel to keep running. Um, and they have to generate their, their, their own fuel. Um, but it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, the, um, you know, the journalistic world, um, you know, runs with this sort of stuff, but I, you know, I guess that's also not too surprising, um, you know, in this day and age of instant and ubiquitous communication, every, everybody, everybody needs a job, I suppose. True. And that is that fear appeal that you had discussed uh, on your last appearance on our show. I just loved how you put this, Dr. Nayara. They are a perpetual motion machine. They defy the laws of physics. They create their own momentum. Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, you know, and and they've you know they've learned all the the lessons of of um, you know. Public, public relations, how to do this, you know, how to play politics, um, et cetera, et cetera. It, it really is a well-oiled machine. And also, again, I think a lot of the timing is related to the September, you know, 9th deadline for the FDA. And, you know, we've seen this kind of slow ramping up. And then I, you know, I predict September 9th comes around, we're going to see the the uproar just, just, you know, will be deluged. Okay, what's well, it's good news. We're seeing a decline now. You know, it's fair to ask. Well, is it a, you know, was it a pan, is it a pandemic effect, or is it one of these things that you know this is just starting to run its course in terms of you know novelty and and um you know youth behavior and and rebelliousness and you know all that stuff and and you know kids are just saying eh, you know we'll move on to the next thing um i think it's also interesting that you know alcohol use remains elevated um i don't think that that showed much of a drop at all in terms of the pandemic effect and also in this um NYTS data, um, I, there was one question on um, vaping cannabis or, you know, marijuana, THC, ash. And it's it's an ever question. Have, have, um, have you ever vaped? So it's not smoked, it's not used, it's specifically vaped. And a huge number of kids endorse, say yes way more than use e-cigarettes. So this, you know, raises the question for me, 
whatever's happening with with you know using e-cigarettes is not a you know one-off behavior it's in the context of a whole bunch of other things you know that are going on and in particular vaping you know vaping cannabis now um where's that gonna go right and and how is that going to relate to anything else and oh by the way you know if i were a parent um i mean i wouldn't freak out but i'd be a little bit more concerned about my my teens vaping cannabis than, than i would be about them vaping nicotine not that i want them to do either but i'd be you know i'd probably have a conversation with them faster if i knew they were vaping cannabis than 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 nicotine so so it you know and again this gets back to the uncertainty there's just a, a whole lot going on with youth with kids with children that you know some people pretend that they know you know they they know the youth mind and they know what's going on and i think that's just hogwash um and you know and again yeah vaping rates are 19% sure let's keep an eye on that but what about all this other stuff that's going on and why is this happening and again post pandemic whenever that's going to be we don't know what's going to happen <laughs>